Hi there, and welcome to bonus episodes of Typical Books. These are excerpts from the Typical Books monthly horror magazine, a subscription podcast that offers interviews with authors and artists and essays about horror fiction uncut. You can find that on Patreon slash Typical Books and Apple Podcasts by searching Typical Books. These episodes may be offered in parts, so take a look at the title. It will indicate how many parts there are to this episode. And as ever, enjoy as we talk to writers about writing. So, on with the show. Nicole Wilson is an author of horror fiction who resides on the outskirts of Washington, D.C. With over 100 micro and short stories on Medium.com, her work is also featured in the Hall Dark Holidays anthology. Her first novel, Tidepool, a Lovecraftian dark fantasy novel, came out in the summer of 2021, and I am very pleased to have her on the show. Welcome, Nicole. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Really excited to get to talk to you. Likewise. I mean, I have talked about your book on my show, and I was so pleased to see your book be featured on BookBub that I couldn't help but share that all over Twitter, too. (laughs) And I don't know if you've noticed, but I am a big fan. Uh, Thank you very much. I appreciate that. (laughs) I had read your blog post about how the BookBub sale really went bonkers. Had you gotten so much attention with Tidepool beforehand, or did it really hit home with the BookBub promotion? I got a nice amount of attention on launch day in that week, and then it seemed like it had leveled off a bit. But then, yeah, the BookBub was just wild. I I couldn't believe my eyes. I was watching... um, I guess if you read the blog post, you know, I was watching it just climb up and up on the rankings on the different Amazon sites. So like, oh my goodness, what is happening? So that was wonderful. You know, I'm just so happy that it, it got out to so many more people all over the world. That's just so moving and exciting to think about. So that was an amazing day. <laughs> I can imagine like it is a beautiful looking book and the reviews. I mean, I can imagine that most of them sound like me just raving and loving this book and <laughs> loving Tidepool, loving Sorrow and loving what you've done with this. Uh, The cover specifically lends itself to this. Uh, I took photos of it on my Instagram and stuff like that. Did you have a hand in the cover design at all? Or is this 100% from the Parliament House? Um, It was mostly from the Parliament House. It was funny. What happened was when they signed me, they had solicited my ideas for a cover. And I sent them a couple of graphics that I thought, you know, something like this might work. And they didn't really use that. And I'm glad because um, the cover designer, Shane Leighton, who also owns the publishing company, um, came up with that design. And the first time I saw it, I was just mind blown. I thought, okay, that is not what I expected, but it is so gorgeous. And yeah, I just love that cover. I think anytime I show people the cover, they're like, oh, I think that's really done a great job selling the book so I'm so thankful she did that I mean Parliament House does beautiful covers in general but I really I adore that one truly and I mean that really speaks to a publisher that is in love with the written word and the presentation of a book I'm very big on the full presentation of a book and I really do need Tidepool in uh, hardcover because it just (laughs) is a a statement book like that honestly but the genesis of Tidepool the town itself really speaks to me i've never seen the ocean like story time i've never left canada very often (laughs) let alone being landlocked in ontario so i have never really seen these coastal towns but they do speak to me especially sort of this new england feel of a 
coastal town. Is this where you've grown up or is, does Tide Pool exist? Um, Tide Pool itself did not exist. Um, I, I, don't, I didn't grow up by the ocean, but I grew up mostly in Maryland. My parents both really loved to sail, so we would end up going to the shore a lot, the coastal towns, um, and especially Maryland. And I guess I kind of fascinated with that area because, you know, they're beautiful little towns now. They're not like Tidepool. They're actually nice places you would want to visit. It's just there's an ambiance there, a smell in the air. Just it really kind of captured my imagination. And also I kind of grew up with um, sometimes go to New Jersey over the summer for beach vacations there. So I've always felt a pull to the ocean. One of my favorite things to do when we go to the beach is just sit out on a balcony with a glass of wine or something and just watch the waves rolling in. So obviously it's a little more, it's a bit more menacing in tide pool, but I've always been drawn to the water and the ocean. So that was part of my interest in it. I have a chance uh, once travel opens up a little more to visit Maryland specifically and a little bit of that shore so maybe i'll capture a little bit of that salt encrusted beauty <laughs> that is not like you said is not present in in tide pool because it is an insmouth yeah kind <laughs> of feel uh dark and dingy and uh, the wicker man comes to mind many times oh goodness oh very much so and it, it it might sound lofty but no that's exactly how i felt that she was being sucked in, she being sorrow, being sucked into this very closed, closed little community with deep, dark secrets, which <laughs> exactly is what she is. This particular book takes place in 1913. Um, was that um, a, a hard way to write instead of staying modern, the write what you know things? We are obviously far removed from 1913. Or have you been heavily invested in history or studied it or into genealogy? What was it that drove you to set this book 100 years previous? You know, it's funny. I didn't, it just, it, the story just kind of came to me that way when I was imagining it, as I started envisioning the whole thing coming out, I just felt like, okay, this is something that took place quite a while in the past, at least at the beginning. And um, I guess I eventually settled on 1913 is just something that's kind of a nice balance before technology really started taking over the United States, especially um, just sort of right on the cusp of the first world war and everything. It felt like an interesting period in time. So that was part of what went into it. But yeah, I, I'm not a huge history buff or anything, but just something about the story from the very beginning, I guess felt like this is when it's going to be very early in the 20th century. When the story came to you, did it come kind of whole cloth with characters in the town or did it, was Tidepool born first or, or Sorrow or Ada? Like, which was it this dark villainy and the cold heartedness or this mystery and this uh, so, somewhat innocent girl being thrust into this menacing place? It, that's actually funny. I was thinking about that today. When I first started thinking about the story, it was basically Ada versus the rest of Tidepool because she had been doing what she does and the townspeople were getting tired of it. They felt like they didn't want to pay this price anymore. And it, so it was sort of a battle between her and the villagers of Tidepool. And then at some point I felt like, okay, I need somebody else in there, somebody to bring a different kind of perspective and maybe just overlook the whole thing. And that's kind of just when Sarah Hamilton kind of introduced herself to me and I started to understand, okay, well, why is she here? because somebody she cared about disappeared there. And then it all started coming into focus. It was a really interesting process, but I would say it started with the characters and then I guess sort of spun the town around it. And then Sarah kind of introduced herself in. That was a fun, that was a fun way to work everything out. I love how authors can speak as if characters are, are living beings that introduce themselves to them and come to them <laughs> or build themselves. And Stephen Graham Jones talks like that often and we get it. 
Um, and I, I think that a lot of the time when our readers are introduced to the, the characters, they seem so full, but they came to us sort of malformed, half-formed, and it took a while for them to come out to us, which is, is such a cool thing. I, I love that these characters came to you the way that they did. Gorgeous stuff. I guess without Sorrow, there wouldn't have been so much of the story to tell because for the story to have been ada centric in in the from the beginning at its genesis right right and then having sorrow come to it just breathed a, a novel's worth of life into this yes absolutely yeah i don't think that there really would have been a, a very long story it probably would have been maybe a novella without her finally there to sort of see what's going on there and investigate everything and then realize that she can't get out so yes i agree with that and it would be incredibly dark at that point not that she is a 100 ray of sunshine She's mm -hmm. a fairly calculated and, and calm person mm -hmm. to begin with. Now, it is referred to as Lovecraftian. And I mean, I don't want to spoil any of this book whatsoever. And what aspect of Lovecraftian it goes, whether it is the xenophobia or if it goes into a mythos category, I don't want to spoil the book for anybody. But <laughs> do you agree 100% with that Lovecraftian title? or dark fantasy, do you feel that it is a horror novel? It, I do feel it's primarily horror, but it's certainly, there is, it's got its foot in dark fantasy very firmly too, I would agree, yeah. I've heard people who've read it say they don't really think it's a horror novel, which, okay, I don't agree with that, but that's fine, you know, you know how people engage with that. I don't have control over that, unfortunately, but uh, definitely the Lovecraftian overtones there, I do think are, you know, some of that was intentional. I mean, people have noticed that there's similarities between Tidespool and Innsmouth. You know, I didn't try to completely rip it off, but there's definitely similarities. Um, I guess felt something very compelling about just the idea of these dilapidated towns. And you kind of cited the Wicker Man before, and I love the trope of like the villagers are all in on it. So <laughs> somebody going there doesn't realize that until it's too late. So I was really happy to hear you say that. And that's another thing I was trying to work with, that kind of a trope. I, that's another thing I really enjoy watching and reading. They're almost like reluctantly in on it too, which I really love because you don't have this entire conspiracy, which would seem like it would have crumbled long before this, or it will crumble not too shortly after. Uh, mm -hmm. the, the idea that they're all sort of under the thumb of this one family is delicious mm -hmm. and very well wrought, I must say. This book had a little while. It wasn't like you woke up a year ago and wrote this book and poof, it's out in August. There was quite a, a workshop. And how long did it take you to write the entire book? The first draft I wrote for NaNoWriMo in November 2016. So I got the first draft down in 30 days. But yeah, the revisions took a long, long time because that's where it really needed a lot of work. But um, I like that about NaNoWriMo. It really compels me to get a draft down. And once you've got the draft down, you can work with it. But I can't work with something that's just in my head. So, um, but yeah, then I had the draft. And then the year after that, um, I was, this Tide Pool was chosen for Pitch Wars, which is a mentoring program where established Asians and I mean, established authors, people who are usually agented and published will select a book to work with, with somebody who hasn't been agented or published yet and try to help make that book publishable. And at the end of the mentoring program, there's actually an agent showcase where agents can request it. So I was lucky enough to be chosen by Peter McLean, who is a wonderful writer. He um, writes the Rose Throne series, um, great person. And he knew exactly what the book needed to really get the story that was in my head out on the page. So that was a wonderful process, really enjoyed it. It took about two months and I did not get an agent from it, but I still, I got so much valuable information and a lot of friends out of it. So that was a great process. <laughs> 
And then um, in the intervening years, I just went to, I kept going to different workshops. And every time I came back, I would go through the manuscript again and try to implement what I learned. And then eventually in 2019, Parliament House connected with me through um, a Twitter pitch contest and they accepted it. And, oh my goodness, yeah, that was so amazing. So, so it did feel like it took a long time. I know there are people it's taken a lot longer for, so. Oh, definitely, even the writing but, of it. You know, when you're in it, it feels long. That you participated in NaNoWriMo. I've never done it and I keep wanting to. It just seems like a thing that I, I, I don't know if I got the guts to do it or the wherewithal. I want to just lock myself down for a while. Was it a lockdown situation when you wrote it? Or had you written NaNoWriMo for years previous? Or was it your first NaNoWriMo excursion? Um, I no, I had first started with NaNoWriMo in 2011 because I had a novel idea and I thought, okay, I'm just going to sit down and see if I can do this. And if I don't, it doesn't matter. You know, nobody's going to know. And, um, you know, I got a whole novel draft written. It wasn't a good novel, but it was good practice for <laughs> designing them. And over the years, I kept doing it. And then Tidepool was the sixth novel I wrote and the first one that was actually publishable. So hopefully not the last. <laughs> but yeah, it's just, it's not a total lockdown. I don't know. It's just, it's funny when I'm really inspired with something like that, I can just sit and hammer away for hours and it's no problem. And then there'll be other days when it just feels like I'm mining my brain with a toothpick trying to get the words out. On the whole, I really enjoy it. And it's just, it really works with me, especially when I have a writing group that's all sort of doing it and we can cheer each other on. The support is really key. And knowing that there are people out there doing the same thing you are. So yeah, I, I highly recommend it if you get an idea or something. It's just fun to play with. Like it's, you know, like I said, nobody will know if you don't get it done. And just even just getting some words down is better than none. So yeah, I, I always really enjoy it. I find so many of us take writing as like a solitary thing, but the the community that is involved in NaNoWriMo that uh, I'm attending the CanCon convention here in Ottawa. I've attended the pre NaNoWriMo workshops or post NaNoWriMo hangouts. I've never participated, but I know many that do. So I see that community in action, which I, I think is, is so cool and valuable. Like you say, another thing that tempts many writers into NaNoWriMo, whether they think they can do it or not with air quotes around to do it, like finish writing the novel, <laughs> but the community is, is very tempting. So like between the community and the, uh, the workshopping afterward, and that you, you write a lot on a lot of short stories and microfiction on medium.com. Do you find that the, that solitary kind of myth that we have with writers is, is true at all when you're writing? Do you find that you're not networking so much? Is it only with ideas or the publishing or polishing? Or do you often write with other people? Um, NaNoWriMo is primarily in the camp NaNoWriMo offshoots during the year is when I have a group. Um, generally when I'm doing a medium piece or something, I write that all by myself. And then sometimes I get feedback on it from other writers or readers. That's a little more solitary. Most of the pieces I write for medium were for a weekly flash fiction challenge. So I don't have a whole lot of time to get them done. So you kind of have to sit down and focus and hammer it out. So, um, but mostly, especially with the novel writing, I tend to have a lot of people, like not a lot of people, but my writing groups, it's sort of, it helps to share progress and cheer each other on. It's a great feeling. So yeah, the sort of the stereotype I think there used to be of the artist is sort of alone in their garret, cut off from everybody that I think the internet ruined that for all time. <laughs> it's really hard to stay isolated, but it's nice to meet so many people doing the same thing you are and loving it. Yeah. I love the camaraderie. Definitely <laughs> agree. Definitely agree. And it is, you know, a myth busting thing 
and pre-pandemic even <laughs> NaNoWriMo has been going for so long and there have been like online sprints let alone in-person workshops that budding writers better get out and check it out I think with medium though that's something that was somewhat new to me and you've been writing on medium for quite some time so would you categorize that as as flash fiction I, I said micro fiction just because it is sort of a, an elastic word count. What is a typical word count on a medium piece? My stories always seem to clock in around 1500 words. You know, sometimes I try to challenge myself by getting them lower, but they usually get in a um, thousand to 1500 word range. And I think the terms microfiction and flash fiction are used fairly, like you said, fluidly. So, um, but, you know, microfiction is also a fair descriptor, but um, I tend to write sparsely anyway, as my picture was mentor notice. So it does work out for me pretty well that way. That was another place. It was a wonderful place, especially I think I started writing there in 2016 and the Weekly Knob community, which is who hosted the challenge, was just so warm and welcoming. And yeah, I had not shown anybody my fiction in about 20 years before I submitted to that piece finally. And it was it was scary, but they were just so kind and receptive. And that kind of made me start feeling like, well, maybe I'm ready to start looking for an Asian publication with my novels. I don't know. <laughs> But it really did um, help, you know, it helped me become a better writer and network. And also um, it encouraged me just to get my more stuff out there. So it's been a great experience. And thus ends the bonus episode for today. And I'll thank you very much for listening. Of course, check back soon for more bonus episodes. These aren't found on the YouTube show. So as a special thank you. To listeners of the podcast, here we are. You can find the essays at typicalbooks.com. And if you're interested in the full-length episodes, check out the Patreon or Apple Podcasts. If there's anything that you think that I ought to be talking about on Typical Books, let me know. And make sure you have an ooky, spooky day.